I've never listened to a podcast in my life. Like, is a podcast just like people talking? Or I, thought, I always thought it was like singing, <laughs> like, <laughs> like music. <laughs> It's Lewis and Megan, your favorite academics in training. I am Lewis Bubrick. I'm Megan Yapchungo. And welcome to episode uh, five, six of the <laughs> some episode of the Academia Podcast. Yeah. Welcome to our podcast. How is everybody doing today? Actually, we have a guest with us today. As usual. As usual. I'm acting like it's a surprise. It is not. <laughs> Whoa. Would you, do you Fancy wanna, to see you, do you in this the, padded room. <laughs> do you want to do the uh, intro? Yes. So to this week, we have on Wesley James Neely. I gave you his middle name so you could steal his Oh, social God. security <laughs> number and such. The yeah. last four digits are one okay. zero. So no. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, that was too close. <laughs> that was actually <laughs> very close. Wes is a person. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know how to describe Wes. Wes looks like the human no, persona. He's a human personification of the... white bread. God, no. <laughs> wow. When I first saw I feel like Wes, I got like a few grains. No, when I first saw you, I was like, that is a normal man. At least that like is. A, a Three human, bread. That is a human man. <laughs> what? I'm gonna and pick, then he I'm gonna opened pick his this mouth. Up. Yeah, I'm, I'm oh, gonna yeah. I'm gonna pick this up. Wes is a PhD student yes. uh, at the University of Alabama in in our department, which is biological sciences. You are a. Is it fair to say that you're a herpetologist by yeah by yeah. training? I would say primarily herpetologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's your snakes, your frogs, mostly your frogs for this project, right? But you've done yes. turtles in the past, correct? Turts. Yep. yep. Turts. So just all the all the herpetology stuff, herpetology all the disease and stuff, yeah. parasitology, secondary. secondary Secondarily, yeah. Uh, yeah, disease ecologist and parasitologist. In Guy Becker's lab, we yes. didn't say that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get back to that in the last 10 minutes of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll let you talk about yourself later. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, let's talk about yourself. Okay. So we're recording this well before it's actually coming out. But at the time that we were recording, you just got back in the States mm-hmm. from a trip that was also a research trip. Yes. So, yeah. Do you want to kind of explain what that was and maybe not so heavy on the side? We'll get to that later. So pretty much for my PhD, I headed down to South Brazil, kind of an area nearby Porto Alegre, which is in the most southern state in Brazil. And I was doing some radio tracking of frogs. So we put little belts on the frogs, these giant species of tree frog, and uh, used an antenna to radio track them across a couple different habitat fragments and stuff like that. And I was there for a month and a half. Did you have to go out there and track them every day or how? It was was like... So we tried to catch every frog every five days. So... Gotcha. We were out tracking every day because we had six different sites. And so five sites, you know, or six sites every five days doesn't quite work out. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we were out there every day tracking. Oh, well, we made a video on this, but you essentially have this antenna that you're holding and then you mm-hmm. have a box. Did you have headphones? Uh, I did, but I didn't use them. They ended yeah. up not being that helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, you basically just have to wave this antenna around and it'll tell you yeah. the direction that the signal is coming from. Yeah, yeah. So it's mostly based on beeps, but the receiver box also has numbers. Numbers. So um, based on where the loudest beep is or the highest number, you can tell which direction the frog is in. And as you move that direction, it'll either get quieter because you passed it or it'll get louder because you're heading straight towards it. So that's generally how it works. So I'm guessing it's just you end up in this like big zigzag until you big can... Big zigzag, a lot of times a circle. And if they're <laughs> in a tree, then you just end up really frustrated because you're pointing at the ground mostly. And then you're just like passing it constantly and getting crazy signals. So well, And then it's like I've seen, I saw pictures and stuff of what you guys posted on Twitter, some of the pictures. Pictures, mm-hmm. But it's not like when you find it, it's like a frog sitting in the middle of like a clearing where you're like, I, there yeah, it is. Yeah, I have a stupid question. You said there were tree frogs and it was annoying if they were in the 
trees? Yes. Okay. I guess that's not a question. That's just a statement. <laughs> About 50% of the time they were in the trees, which is... <laughs> which is their, why their name. I guess it may be surprising because they are tree frogs. If they're a tree you frog, do you call them more. land frogs if they're on the ground? Oh, sure. they're grass frogs? You can call them land frogs, but... <laughs> <laughs> you just have frogs. frogs. Actually, there is grass frogs. Like ah. There's like the grass frog. In there's also glass frogs, Europe, but that's different. Glass frogs, yeah, very different. Yeah, because some of them I was seeing, there'd be like pictures of plants where they're like wedged in between. It was like those bromeliads mm-hmm. where they're like wedged yeah. in between. Yeah, they wedge themselves way down. And sometimes <laughs> you can only see their little face, but I didn't really need to see them yeah. because I was basing it main, mainly on signal. Yeah. So I really just needed to be able to triangulate sort of to them. So triangulation works how uh, pretty much you point around until you get the strongest direction. And then you don't walk directly in that direction. You kind of walk like diagonally to that for a little ways. And then you find again where you get the strongest um, signal. And then you do that again one more time. And so three points kind of gives you a triangle. And then you should be able to point to like practically exactly the location that it's in. It usually didn't work exactly that way, yeah. but a little bit more frustration in between. But generally, that's how it works. So, so. what happens? I mean, if it's in a tree, you, I mean, you have to climb you it. Climb the tree, yeah. But it's a, if it's a big tree and it's a little frog, I mean, is it sensitive you, enough so to like... You're on the ground and you point, so... So you know it's, like, um, oh, it's on that branch if somewhere? The, yeah, if the, the kind of one of the cool things we did, I didn't really expect this because uh, in the south, in more northern parts of Brazil, there are, Brazil, there's a lot of frogs that breed inside of bromeliads, but not in the south. And frogs generally in the, in the south aren't known to use bromeliads much. But we found about most of the time, if the frog was in the tree, it was inside of a bromeliad. So oh, yeah, because they can... Uh, what is it called? Where it's the, like on... Hop. Right. It's like, what? <laughs> hop. Yes. I don't know anything about bromeliads. Um, so the, yeah, bromeliads are epiphytes, so they're up in the trees mostly. Yeah, so it's a plant that lives on yeah, another plant. And they, but they hold... They have reservoirs where they hold water, so mm-hmm. especially when it was drier, we were finding the frogs up in trees a lot because they were in the little water uh, pools in the bromeliad because it's like a little refuge. Because it looks like... Right, uh, um, like, a, like a pineapple is a bromeliad. So it's like... Yeah, pineapple is a bromeliad. So if you the, picture the, like the out... Yeah, yeah the, the top the, of the pineapple. The green parts. Yeah. Yeah, they Please. kind of have these Or just little, like go to public. Well, yeah, but and <laughs> see all the bromeliads that they're selling. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so um, they're pretty cool plants, and they're they're. Uh, so we ended up finding mostly the frogs when they were in trees. They were in bromeliads. So what I would do is, if I was getting signal strong towards trees, I would just start pointing at every single bromeliad I could see <laughs> until I got the strongest <laughs> yeah. signal. And you're like, all right, and that's then uh, and when you're really close, you can take off the antenna and just use the cord that the antenna attaches to. What? And oh, yeah, wow. so when you're really close, you can still hear beeps with that. Oh, and so, so you then you use that to that like yeah. There. So then I take off the antenna on the ground climb up the tree and then start pointing at bromeliads until I get like 99 which is like you know it's, it goes the numbers on the machine go up to 100 so 99 is like it's right here yeah and then sometimes the frog hops out of the tree and I have to climb down and go find it on the ground and yeah <laughs> it hops from the top of the yeah. tree <laughs> there very, we go it hops I very, you were right I knew it see yeah, that, like if someone was like go find a frog in a bromeliad I'd be like I don't know what either of those words are. <laughs> I know what a vague frog looks like. I have no idea what a bromeliad is. I know that the word is existing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yep. you said pineapple, and I was like, whoa, pineapples are bromeliads? Yep. yep. I, I know, and like, it, bush, mm-hmm. tree, <laughs> those are Those are not clothes. Those are plants. <laughs> I don't think. I think that's the entire family. We should have uh, the like bush Brian clean. McNeil on here next, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can tell us all about bromeliads. So I can be like, what is tree? <laughs> what is a plant? <laughs> I don't get it. Avocado? <laughs> Avocado? <Yeah>. Plant? <laughs> so how does that, Megan, how does that compare to, because you also went to another country for, for you, I mean, you went to several countries for field work. Yeah. I'm so how, how does uh, going around in a forest with an antenna versus, versus scooping sediment, similar, different? Um, there's no antennas involved yeah. directly in what I was doing, can, <laughs> as uh, far can, as do I'm think, aware. Do you uh, think, do marine invertebrates hop? Depends on the marine invertebrate. <laughs> there's amphipods. I feel like they, they're kind of like happy. Like a Dumbo yeah. octopus? A Dumbo octopus. It wasn't really hopping. Like 
it's like gyrating. <laughs> I would also again like to point out this is a podcast. People can't see your hand movement. They can imagine whatever they can hear this. They sound. can imagine whatever they, they want. Can hear the bloop. <laughs> they can hear the wind rushing from your so what the wind is doing. From your hands. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's also like weird going to another country for research. Like at least you speak Portuguese. More or less. More or less. I had no idea. I went to Russia. I went to Russia and I went to the Azores, like, which is what? a territory of the port of the Portu- Portugal. Of yeah. the Portugal. The Portugal. Of the, the singular Portugal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I had no idea what was going on, and I just said abrigada a lot. Like, it's like, <laughs> abrigada. And then they were like, oh, I don't even know if that's the correct use of it. I'm, I'm like, like, okay. Well, <laughs> and like a cafe americano that was just like a uh, big ass espresso, essentially. Oh, uh, That's yeah. all I know. And then how, because you were at, so I need to be more specific, you, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> were at, I get to say you. Not me. Yeah, not you specifically. Mm-hmm. But you were at field stations the whole time, right? Yes. So this is like designated research facility. Wes, were you? So I stayed at a field station, and um, three of our sites were located in the field station because we were looking at fragmentation. So our field station was in a con- big continuous forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also had three sites out in like the middle of nowhere um, on these like little habitat fragments. And so pretty much those were on just people's property. Did you have to like talk to those people? Yeah. For, yeah. So how, how what's that process like? So uh, the people in <laughs> South Brazil, they don't just speak Portuguese. It's like a sort of strange version that's mixed with German a little bit. So I could not understand them at all. So <laughs> luckily, I had undergraduate assistants from the university in uh, São Leopoldo um, nearby. So they always helped me and they came out. And usually I just kind of like let them talk. I told them like in broken Portuguese generally what I wanted to say and what we needed and to then do. They and like then they would like them, yeah. clean it up and talk to the <laughs> landowners and they could more or less understand what the landowners were saying. Yeah. And you've had to do that too, even here in Tuscaloosa, because yeah. you did, I, when was that? Like last summer? So last April slash May. Yeah, Megan actually helped with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I had uh, 30 properties around Tuscaloosa and they were all privately owned. So I had to talk to like landowners and golf courses and all sorts of places, pretty much anywhere with a pond that was about 50 meters wide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I talked to those people in Tuscaloosa and uh, yeah, went out at night and caught a bunch of frogs on their land. So that was yeah. fun. It would be like, we'd be like, you know, trying to schedule like a movie or something. We'd be at like some event at like 9 p.m. You'd be like, all right, I got to go. Bye. <laughs> go, go, you know, catch frogs Frog and time. Um, gol- golf courses and stuff. Yeah, about two weeks of my life. I went I once MIA. with <laughs> the, at the golf course. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, was yeah, can I wear Tevas? And you were like, yeah, that's fine. And everybody else had waiters. And then I just like realized very quickly that like it was too muddy for being like, because if you suck your foot in and then like your shoe would be off. And I was like, yeah. this was not appropriate. That was one of the day ones. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> there was a ton of bugs though. Well, we were there until sunset. Yeah. Because I was helping Leah with her water sampling. And then there's like leeches, right? You mm-hmm. got that's that was the site where I got leeches. Been yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was the leech site. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, is that was that on a golf course? Yeah. So that was on. So don't go in the, the one, one of the three golf courses. Don't go after your ball. Yeah. Get leeches. Just leave the ball. Leeches can have it. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun though. Are people amenable to that? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Like it's definitely pretty weird to just like kind of I mean, walk knock up. On their yeah. Door, walk right? up to people. Uh, I knock on their door and I'm like, hey, I saw on Google Maps that you have a pond in your backyard. Um, I, can I and then jump in it followed by, can I catch frogs in your yard? And they're yeah. just like, what? And then I'm like, I'm with the University of Alabama. And they're like, oh yeah, roll tide. Like I had a, <laughs> they tell me about their family history and everybody who went to the school. So yeah, yeah it's usually, they're usually pretty amenable. I only had one person say no out of mm-hmm. everybody that I asked. So that's pretty good. In Brazil, they were generally nice. I had one uh, dude, he told us yes, that we could come and like radio track the frogs on his property. But then later his boss found out and decided he didn't want people on his property. And Ooh. so they did not let us go back and get our frogs, which was pretty sad. Oh, so that was just like a whole They had trunk. about like, yeah, each frog had like a $170 radio on it. And we're just like, can we just come get the radios? And he's 
didn't know. <laughs> oh my god. That's so irritating. That sucks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because you were anticipated that you were going to lose some frogs. Either yeah, through lose track of them or... Lose track of them. They'd drop they, their radio. They yeah. die. But we didn't really expect yeah, just whole, not being able to go look for them a anymore. Whole set to just be wiped out like that. Yeah, so that was fun. So did you find some just radios on their own? Like just like Yeah, left? yeah. So I think we had about 10 radios on their own, which that's the most frustrating thing to track because you're tracking it. You're expecting to find a frog. So you're looking in froggy sort of places, like on yeah. the sides of things or whatever. But if it's just a radio by itself, it's like all the way on the ground, usually underneath leaf litter or like under the mud in water. And so you're not really looking in the right places when you're looking when it's just a radio on its own. So it's super frustrating when that was the case. Yeah. Um, and th- that was like always due to predation. So. Oh uh, yeah. Which sucked. But. And then, what, did you find one inside of a? Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so one of them, it was at this one site. This site was just cursed, I think, because we did not recover. We only recovered two frogs from that site, like the entire time. And then at the very end, when it's like most important to recover the frogs, I only got one because one of them just went missing. So that, that site was just cursed. Yeah. But um, on my second venture at this location, uh, I was tracking a frog, and it was taking me really far away. Like the signal was really faint, so I was walking towards the signal where I could hear it. Um, and it took me really far away. And then all of a sudden, I was pointing towards this bush, and I was like really certain. I was like, okay, it's in this bush. And so I got like my field assistant to come help. We were looking through the bush uh, and I was walking around the backside of the bush and then all of a sudden I looked down and there's like a venomous snake so they're called jararaca there it's like a kind of like a cotton mouth sort of snake yeah uh, super venomous and it was just on my foot and I was like oh <laughs> shoot <laughs> and so I like kind of scooted over and it went away but then I was like oh wait maybe it has a radio in it so like I it was I could still see it so I pointed the antenna towards it and luckily it did not beep so we kept on looking inside the bush and eventually I opened up and another snake is inside the bush <laughs> and I'm like oh my god so we take off the uh, antenna and we just point the radio with the or the um, cord of the radio mm. to the snake and it just gives off this super loud beep like 99 I'm like oh no and so the snake's like sort of escaping and so we couldn't see it well enough to tell if it was venomous so we're just kind of being super careful and it's like inside it's one of those bushes we have them everywhere here it's like the sawgrass that cut you if you touch it oh yeah like the leaves super awful so the worst bush this snake could have chosen <laughs> and there's like all these tunnels so we're just like chasing the snake through the tunnels eventually uh, Hinato who was my field assistant he just got tired to just grab the snake with his hand and uh, it was luckily not venomous it was just like a water snake but uh, yeah the the tracker was most definitely inside of the snake we took it away and checked again and it gave it the loud beep and Did yeah that was it? unfortunate no we released the snake into the wild with hopefully the tracker? too yeah we just I mean hopefully that it'll pass it but you know yeah, yeah it doesn't seem like you have that problem with your uh, marine invertebrates no I don't think anyone's ever put a tracker on an apocoffrin yeah that would be, be cool. pretty cool one of the those just, giant just neomenia yeah look at him just see where it goes. Yeah, knows. look at that. That was an actual Aplicofrid. You're welcome. I listen. I promise. Y'all say I don't listen. Because <laughs> in addition to, yeah, you go out every day to grow through the forest or to go to the sand or out on a boat or something like that. But also at the same time, what doesn't get talked about enough is like in addition to having to do that work, you have to be like a well-oiled machine with like a bunch of people that you've never met before and you're like living with them and working with them. And and cooking and, for them. Yeah. <laughs> so like how is, uh, you know, kind of both of you guys. That was pretty interesting. So um, in Brazil, we stayed at this field station, but we didn't actually stay in the main field station where like food is provided for you and there's good, there's internet at all. So we actually <laughs> stayed in this place, they call it the Casinha, 
know, like a little house. And it was about like 15 minute drive away on the same property, but 15 minute drive because the roads are just a bunch of rocks. And so it's really slow driving. We stayed there and so there was no internet. We had water sometimes <laughs> and electricity sometimes. <laughs> um, but generally there we, we had to cook for ourselves and that sort of thing. And it was great. I, I liked it there. It was really pretty, but yeah, it was pretty close quarters. And so I was mainly working with undergrads. So I had anywhere from two to three other people there with me that I was responsible for. So one of us cooked and uh, we had to, you know, had to make sure everyone was together and that we were driving around. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. It's kind of hard to like cook in another country. I realized like going to the grocery <laughs> store, like even just finding spices, like speaking some Portuguese, I still don't really know what the translation is for like oregano. Yeah, or like, how, would, yeah so, exactly. How would you know that? None of these spices are the same name. So I'm like, I don't know if this is going to taste good because I don't know what this is. <laughs> I'm like, let me buy chicken and rice. <laughs> I also figured out I did not know how to cook beans from like dry beans. From dry I, beans, I yeah. only know how to do it from a can and they only have dry beans. Oh, there. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, well, <laughs> no beans. <laughs> just chomping on dry just, beans. Yeah, chewing some dry. I did buy the dry beans and then did not cook them because. Did you have like that experience? Like when I was in Russia both times, actually, mm-hmm. like I was the only American. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like when you're the only American, like people just like the weirdest questions, I feel like. Yeah. That, like, well, I mean, like, I guess that like we think is weird, but like mm-hmm. they're like about Chick-fil-A and <laughs> like, like other stuff. And you're like, that's that's what you want to know about America. And you're like, well, I guess that kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's like I, I went to this uh, workshop thing and there was this girl from uh, from the UK and, it, you know, the field station was like up on this like mountain and then you kind of have to drive down the mountain to go to this like town. And it's like just this super, super small rural town that, you know, it, when you go, when you pass through rural areas are kind of like dime a dozen, like they're everywhere, these little tiny towns. And I remember the person leading the workshop was like, hey, I'm going to like go pop down to the town to just go to like the corner store and pick up random stuff. And the girl was like, like, oh my god, like, can I come? Because <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like this whole new world of like, oh, I want to go see this small, like, American shop. And it's like, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. Walgreens. But you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, you know, but I mean, I'm sure the yeah, reverse, so the reverse would be equally, you know what I mean? Like, You're like let's walk to the store. Yeah. The yeah. Mercado. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, it's so exciting. <laughs> I'm going to buy a papaya. <laughs> buy a papaya. It's so exotic. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, being on the Azores, it was like, they have like pineapple farms and like, oh, nice. yeah. The, yeah, the fruit there was incredible. I was that's I'm still I, so yeah, sad about just like the fact that we don't have good mangoes here in our store. Like they're just <laughs> so bad. Mangoes. A little depressing. So how I'm not asking you to like call out anybody, but like there's people there, you know, whenever you go to a field station or you go to like a little short, you know, doing field work or something where it's like you have like instant connections with some people. Mm-hmm. And then there's some people that's like, boy, I really do not jive with you, but I kind of have to work with you, that kind of thing. So how does yeah. that, you know, when you're in close quarters, you have to work together? Yeah, I really didn't have any personality conflicts, maybe just because because, like, I didn't understand when, like, they were being dicks to me. um, (laughs) Yeah, generally, like, we all got along pretty well. I I was switching out groups of people that were helping me every week, so pretty much there was a town an hour and a half away that uh, I would drive to, drop the group that was with me there. They would take a bus back to the city that was, like, three hours away, and then the next group would come, and I would pick them up and bring them back to the field station. So these university students? Yeah, so generally they're undergrads, and it's a really different system there because they don't have, like, funding for you to go to school like we do here, so all of their classes there at night and they work during the day so these students were like taking off a week of work to come help me with my field work because oh, they're wow. super dedicated yeah and so that was really cool it was really neat to like n- not just like meet these people but also like get to offer them some experience in the field that they usually wouldn't get because they're in a strict ecology lab and so i do more like genetics disease ecology stuff and i was able to like
like communicate this to them and teach them some methods. So uh, that was really cool. But yeah, so I was switching out groups of people every single week. So that was got a little bit exhausting sometimes because every week I have to completely read. I'm like, so what do you know about like, what did your advisor tell you about my project? And they're like, oh, I don't know anything about your project. And I'm like, so here's what we're doing. So like the hour and a half drive back to the field station, I'm just going yeah. through the same thing, explaining everything. And then like, I'm catching them up on like my labeling method for how to like label the tubes and how to like help mm. me with the swabs. And so it's yeah. everything just like reteaching was a little exhausting. Yeah. And then just from an interpersonal stand, and then it's like, oh, I got to learn all new names. That would be yeah. my yeah. thing. It's like, learn new people's names. names. Well, it's also like if you have someone really good and you're like, don't leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And if you get that someone definitely, who sucks, I mean, then you're like, yeah. leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you have different levels of work ethic for sure in, uh, yeah. in different groups of students. But I, I had generally good help. And I would say definitely like compared to the help that you can receive here in the U.S., like the students there were much harder, like worked much harder. So mm. that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I told them that too and they were really happy. <laughs> <laughs> and then what about what about uh, your experiences? I mean, you seem to... Um, I did, like, I mean, I didn't have any people help with, like, I didn't have, like, yeah, specific... Yeah, yeah. Um, in Russia, both times were for a class. So mm. the second time I was in Russia, I knew some of the people okay. that were there, so that was nice. Yeah. The first time I went to Russia, I knew nobody. Was the only native <laughs> English speaker. Yeah. So for the first week, I hated it because I felt like a trash American who didn't speak another language. So I couldn't communicate with anyone. And uh, everybody else there had at least one other person who spoke their native language. So they all grouped up. And I was like, well, I don't know what's going on at all. I have and my I, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I just knew a little bit of Spanish. Uh-huh. And, like, surprisingly enough, little. like, apparently I'm, like, relatively fluent in French when uh-huh. I'm drunk. So. <laughs> this is a superpower. Yeah, I took a lot of French. Um, oh, so like, you did. Oh, I thought you, yeah, mean, no, no, you didn't know any when you're sober. No, like, <laughs> I took a lot of French. And I was like, oh, I didn't retain anything. Oh, and just then, one movie, one time. Just one time. I saw one. I saw Ratatouille, and I thought that was good enough. <laughs> oh, it's um, like if you guys have seen like Silicon Valley, there's a character who sleep talks in German, even though he like doesn't. <laughs> they're like, do you speak German? Me. He's like, no. no. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, we were all drinking Russian vodka one night, and like um, one of the other students was from France, so I was like talking to him in French. He was like, the next day, he was like, oh, you're pretty good at French. Like, I didn't know you spoke that. Like you said that you spoke a little. I didn't know that you were like that, like good at French. I was like, was I making sentences that made sense? He was like, yeah. And I was like, I couldn't do that now. Alcohol brings down your inhibitions. Yeah, because I think I would have been too nervous to say yeah. anything because otherwise I would have just felt like an asshole. You almost, yeah. <laughs> How was it? Was visa stuff hard with Brazil? Or? So Brazil luckily recently got rid of their entry visa, which is nice. Oh, <laughs> so you just like went. Yeah, so you can pretty much get, yeah, you don't have to get a yeah. visa. Anymore. Well, you've been to, like, how long did you live yeah. in Brazil? Oh, so I never lived there. Okay, but sorry. I, were you there this was before? my sixth time entering Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. And so I've been there five times before to the northeast. So super different. I mean, like the opposite side of the country and super yeah. different people, like the way that they speak and the language. And it's more right, tropical up northeast. Yeah, it's much more tropical. But I was there. Um, I went for two one-week trips, and then I went for two full summers, so three-month-long summers. Oh, wow. Uh, was that and, for research, too? Or? No, no, it was. So I have a friend who her, uh, her parents had an orphanage down there, so I went there to help out. And um, originally, like the first couple times for mission trips and then I went down as an intern to like teach them uh, some environmental stuff Mm -hmm. so I was going to do some camps and stuff which built a chicken coop that was cool ooh nice Um, but yeah so I was pretty much surrounded in like a bunch of little Brazilian kids who didn't speak any English so you just Mm -hmm. kind of have to pick it up when you're in that situation so So you grew up in South Carolina yes but you lived in oh Zambia Zambia I was like I know it's not so yeah we lived in (laughs) Zambia
Columbia when I, I guess I was 10 when we moved there and then we moved back when I was 13. Yeah. Because so. you were there for like mission related. Yes. My parents were missionaries. So we moved there pretty much. I was there from fifth grade to seventh, like through seventh grade. Yeah. And got back right before eighth grade, which is a great time to come back into a country and <laughs> not know social cues in America. <laughs> yeah. Eighth grade. That's really rough. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> you uh, were Katie from. I was literally from Mean, mean Girls. Girls. My sister was yeah. Mean Girls. She was entering her sophomore year of high school, coming from wow. Africa, right when Mean Girls got released. So. <laughs> oh, no. And everyone was like, if you're from Africa, why, yeah, are, you why are you white? Yeah, why are you white? Jeez. I Did people like... make fun of you? They thought it was interesting that I had lived there, but, like, they thought it was weird that I like, didn't get that, like, hugs weren't okay for, like, everybody, you know? Like, it's not okay just to, like, hug everybody you meet. And, uh, oh, like, and they big huggers in Yeah, and, like, like it's, it's normal for, like, men just to, like, hold each other's hands while they're talking. Mm. That's not okay in eighth grade. <laughs> tell you. And you had to find out the hard way. Yeah, people it's not were okay in eighth people grade. were not okay with that. They felt a little uncomfy. <laughs> like I don't actively wish for you to die, but but if it happened, I'd be okay with it. For like I'd be sad, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be sad for a bit, and I'd then you'd be sad realize. For a little bit. But then, like, I think my first thought would be like, so I get Lila. Like, my second thought would be like, oh dang, what happened? It'd be your first but, question. Yeah, for sure. Wesley Are has you, died. Like, in line in this line of succession? Yes, I'm number one. Okay. I am Lila's godmother and her Tita. My family may have issues with that, but it's fine. I'll let them work it out. I'm going to be dead. So. Godmother <laughs> and Tita. <laughs> so yeah. Lila is... She's a dachshund terrier mix of some sort. She's got long, wiry hair and a beautiful beard, and she's black and tan. Yeah, she's wonderful. It's full her, of energy. Her nickname is... Referred to her as the River Otter, yes. The River Otter. She, lo- she does have the appearance and movement of a river otter. Yeah. And, yeah. But oh, yeah. was born in College She Station, was born Texas. in College Station. Well, actually, Bryan, Texas, technically. Oh. If we're getting technical. We're getting technical. <laughs> she was born there. So I got her during the second semester of my master's at Texas A&M University. Oh. Um, had to mention that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just, like, wanted a dog and wasn't really, like, planning on getting one. And then one day I just, like, let me look on Craigslist. And that's the first mistake. And then I saw this beautiful little dachshund-type puppy. And I was in love. So I went and got her that day. And so how old was she? Like just like she a puppy? She was eight or? or nine weeks old. Yeah, it was like yeah. backyard breeder, kind of thing, oh. which is a little. She was she's very smart and loves yeah. to play fetch and she loves to uh, howl when other people are howling. Yeah. It's she's really she's a really weird dog. It's really easy. To, yeah, it's really easier to just get her to make any noise. You just start doing it. Yeah, yeah. And she'll just like look around and then she'll. Yeah. she'll yeah. She was an ambulance for Halloween. Yeah, oh. she was an ambulance, and I got her to howl in the ambulance. And I have beautiful. video. <laughs> she's so. a little ambulance and she Great. Goes, Ooh, I'm honestly like, oh I'm honestly going to play a clip of that right just the audio of the audio I will right now. supply that wasn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> Lila occasionally helps me out in the field. Does she? she yeah, so... She comes with you? Did yeah. you train her to hunt frogs? So she do, she <laughs> likes to do this thing, so whenever... I don't know if y'all have been herping a lot, which is when you go out and try to find reptiles and amphibians. I do that a lot, and I bring Lila with me. And so one of the main methods is flipping. So you just flip over whatever random object you find to try to find animals underneath yeah. it, like you know, salamanders like, like or whatnot. Trained, he's trained Lila and Sam. So, yes, I also... <laughs> uh, my, my friend Sam is also very good 
good at this, similar to Lila. But I flip a log, <laughs> and then Lila just kind of like runs underneath it and sniffs around, and then she scares things up. So it's really helpful. Oh, she's like a what do you? Call, yeah, it's like she's a like a coon hound, but for yeah, sal <laughs> sal hound. <laughs> Salamanders. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you have to? Did she like? She just kind of like does it. I, yeah, no, she just does it. She's a natural. Apparently, I saw my advisor was talking about this recently. Some people have been using frogs in Brazil to track frog or frogs using uh, dogs in Brazil to track frogs and they can actually track individuals if you make them smell that yeah. individual first. I what? saw a thing on this so at the World Co- Congress of Malacology. Maybe I'll switch out my radio tracker. <laughs> they have dogs dog. that can sniff out like snails and so hold on this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Someone trained bees to like smell giant African land snails and so they home on the, on the snail and then you can go and you just murk that snail because they're invasive. Oh. So you go and you just shoot it in the face. You don't actually well, do that. Does. But the bee, the bees have tiny guns. In their butts. <laughs> and their butts. Their BB guns. <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave. <laughs> well, that's about it. Uh, <laughs> it's the second time their BB guns. I've made this joke. That's so good. <laughs> oh. So, what, okay, so this is a similar question to one that we asked Sam when he came on the show. But you, in your, so you did your master's at, where did you do your undergrad? I did my undergrad at North Greenville University okay. in Tigerville, South Carolina. Okay, so South like Carolina, Texas, yeah. to, and I don't know if you did any research in your undergrad, but so far you've done herpetology stuff in. Yep. It was herp stuff in my undergrad. Okay, so herp stuff all the way through, or you, mm-hmm. what do you, so yeah, what moved does the future from, look like? I, I just kind of did general, like, natural history of salamanders in my undergrad, and then disease of turtles and more like taxonomy of parasites really mm. and so now I'm doing more disease ecology and more landscape stuff and so yeah in the future I would like to kind of combine some things I've learned all along the way so I really enjoyed working with taxonomy and helminth parasites just because they're super understudied uh, we know very little about the diversity of uh, helminth parasites and there's so many undescribed species out there uh, similar to Megan's study organism <laughs> and so uh, I am a big invert evangelist so mm-hmm. I would like to keep working with those in my future I don't really have much of an opportunity right now but uh, I would like to work with those and then also incorporate some of the more important like disease, landscape ecology, like disease ecology aspects of it. Did you always want to be a biologist? Did like moving to like Zambia and stuff like that help? Or I think that like, was it like yeah, my, my family could probably definitely agree with this. But yeah, I've always like they've always pretty much known exactly what I was going to do. Yeah. Since yeah, I was a kid. So and, um, and herpetology, too. Like, were you the kid who was always running around? It was like mainly and snakes and lizards and frogs. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think I would have caught other stuff, but you know, like how do you catch a bird as a kid or like <laughs> stuff like yeah. I would catch fish and stuff in the creek so pretty much anything like I was really generally interested I mean I wasn't that interested in plants but anything that moved or was an animal I was super interested in as a kid and so uh, actually going into grad school when I was first leaving I did salamander research but I was looking for pretty much anything because I still had really general interests mm. so luckily I found a parasite herp lab and yeah. I'm going to keep doing that so <laughs> at what point then do you kind of take a childlike wonder with catching frogs in the backyard and like did you realize that that was something that you could turn into a career or not until so, later? Or? I mean my parents are not biologists at all so my mom's a nurse my dad works with computers so I had no understanding of like grad school or like zoologists I didn't even know like a zoologist or biologist like I didn't know what that was so my idea when I was in kindergarten we have a video of me saying when I grew up I wanted to be a zookeeper because I was like a zookeeper gets to work with animals all the time and just play with them and catch them and whatever and so I went to zoo camp as a kid and I was like really into that and then as I got older I sort 
sort of realized like other careers that were possible, you know, watched the crocodile hunter obviously all the time. And I started to realize like what a zoologist was and what a biologist was and that I could actually like go and make this a career. So in high school, I had kind of decided to go on and probably do some sort of grad school program in this. And I didn't really know where that would go at that point because I was a really um, not the best student in high school. My grades weren't great. So I, in my mind, I didn't think I'd be able to really go on and do a PhD. But in undergrad, things picked up and I seemed like more of a possibility. And that's when I really decided on grad school, eventually PhD, professor and doing research. Sorry, that was a lot. No, no you it was, fucking it was, nailed that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, just for people that are looking at or thinking about going into, you know, a biologist type field or you're just interested in animals, like just keep exploring it. Keep it as a possibility in your mind because just because like if you're in high school or you're in college and just because like maybe your grades aren't the best, that is not like a reflection of how you're going to do in grad school. There's like, you know, study after study after study showing that our prior success in like high school and college is not an indicator of how you're going to do in, in a grad school. So just keep that as a possibility and keep hoping and looking for opportunities and searching. Okay, so now that you're at Alabama, what's the what's the deal with this project and what you've been doing and why you're looking for these frogs in this part of the world? So, yeah, in general, in my my lab, we study frog diseases. And we're a general disease ecology, but we mainly focus on frogs. So for my projects, I'm mainly looking at the interaction between um, the skin microbiome. So the skin microbiome is just like all the bacteria that is present on the frog's skin and how that relates with infection with this pathogen, Batrachochytrium dendrobatidis. We just call it BD for short because it's easier. Uh, it's a chytrid fungus, so a type of fungus that there's a lot of free-living chytrids, but this is a parasitic form. And uh, they, this fungus has been associated with a lot of frog die-offs worldwide, and mainly when it's translocated from a different area. So when the a Asian strain of chytrid was introduced into like Panama and some other locations, that's when we see these big die-offs or the global pandemic strain. So there's a couple different strains worldwide, and when they get moved around through like species invasion, pet release, this sort of thing, that's when we see these mass of die-offs. That's what led to like Adelopis sateki, the golden frog in Panama's extinction in the wild. So it's pretty bad. So we're studying this pathogen and we're seeing how uh, sort of like how humans, when we have gut issues, we can take a probiotic. We're seeing how like beneficial bacteria can supplement the frog skin microbiome and kind of assist them fighting off chytrid or just resisting infection in the first place. And so I'm studying all the kind of complicated interactions between the skin microbiome and BD infection. So I've done one project in Alabama. That was the one I did previously with all the crazy landowners. Uh, I, I looked at the environmental reservoir of bacteria in the water and how that is recruited onto the frog's skin and then how that assists with or how that is related to BD infection. And, and then in Brazil, just now I was looking at sort of more of the microbiome side and how the microbiome changes over time and then how we can relate that to BD infection. So whether moving frogs to a more fragmented landscape reduces the microbiome diversity so it makes them sicker and then they then get BD, so get this fungal pathogen from becoming sick. It's really complicated and it can be really difficult to analyze, but in the future I'm hoping to look at more genetic basis for um, resistance to chytrid. So we know that this one complex, the MHC complex, which humans also have, is the major histocompatibility complex, which is responsible for immune function, can be beneficial in fighting off BD. So individuals with genetically higher diversity at the site can have higher resistance to BD. So I'm thinking about looking into some of these factors in fragmented landscapes in South 
South Brazil. Yeah, and you have to because you're tracking it over time. That means you're looking. You have to do the same frog mm -hmm. same over frog. multiple time points, which yeah. means you have to find that frog over yeah. and over again. Which is why you that was have the radio tracking. Yeah, radio tracking. Yeah, I had to find that exact same individual over time. This is it was never really done in the wild before with frogs, like looking okay. at the microbiome over time um, in the wild. And I'm sort of realizing why because it was super <laughs> yeah. hard to find the same frog. <laughs> you might go back, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's the possibility for us doing this same project that I just did in South Brazil, again in Sao Paulo. So that's a little bit further north, more tropical, a lot more frog species, a lot more bromeliads to check. So <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a possibility of that happening in the next couple years, possibly. So. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of <laughs> the Academia Podcast. I'm Louis Bubrick. I'm Amy Abchago. I'm Wes. I'm Wes. I'm Wes. You can find us on Twitter at Yacademia Show. I don't know. See you in two weeks when I have other things to say to other people that aren't Wes. Birds aren't, birds aren't real, though. Birds so. aren't real. Government drones. Yeah. And are also dinosaurs. They are dinosaurs. They are dinosaurs. We accept that. Rogan. Who says that dinosaurs weren't government drones? Oh, my God. No.